0: All righty. Well, good morning, church. How you doing today? You with? Okay, we got a couple people who are tuned in already. It's good. Well, uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and we're grateful that you are with us today uh, in church. And if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we are in a sermon series called "It's Not as It Seems." where we're looking at the book of Revelation. Now, if you haven't been with us or this is the first Sunday you're with us for this series or you're brand new today, you might be like, "Why are we going through Revelation?" That is a very weird book of the Bible that I whenever I read it, I don't fully understand and I don't really know what's going on. And if that's your case, if that's your if that's what you feel when you approach Revelation, let me just encourage you today. You are not alone. When the Apostle John, who's the one who's getting the revelation from Jesus, gets this revelation, sometimes he has to pause and go, what did I just see? Can you explain this to me? Sometimes when he's trying to describe what he sees, he goes, uh, it's kind of like this. And he doesn't really know how to put it into words. So if you approach Revelation, and you're like, hey, I'm not really sure what's going on here. I don't fully understand everything that's going on. That is okay. Okay. But that's why we come back to three reminders every week when we're going to be talking about this series that will hopefully help frame this sermon series and how to read Revelation in a responsible way together. And so the weekly reminders that Pastor Sean has given to us are these. Number one, Revelation is all about Jesus. As Pastor Sean has been talking about for the first few weeks in this series, Jesus is central to this book. It is a revelation given by Jesus to the Apostle John. And so this is all about Jesus. The second thing is that this book is about our discipleship to Jesus. While there's a lot of amazing pictures and images and things happening in Revelation, this is primarily about our discipleship. How are we growing to look more like Jesus and to follow him as our rabbi, our teacher, and our Lord even more? And finally, this is best understood. Revelation is best understood within the rest of Scripture. It's not meant to be taken kind of on its own, where you try and read into it and figure things out. It's meant to be read within the whole canon of Scripture, so we read it in light of the rest of Scripture. So that's kind of our baseline that we come back to each and every week. You good with that, church? Okay, you're more awake than the 9 a.m. Every time, it's good. You've got the coffee in you. And so with these things in mind, if there are parts that you don't fully understand, that's okay. Pictures that might seem weird to you also okay, but we do not have to fear or avoid revelation because Jesus wants to speak to us through this book. And so last week, Pastor Sean opened up the first letter to the seven churches by talking about the church of Ephesus. And this is a great reminder for us that these letters to the churches are grounded in history. These are letters actually written to real churches by Pastor John, who knew these people and had pastored them. And it was a timely message for these churches of encouragement and correction and promise to these churches. And Pastor Sean has so helpfully showed us that Jesus is at the center of these churches he is in the churches. He knows them intimately. He understands what's going on, and it's from there that he speaks these words to them. Pastor Sean talked about that while last week um, there's a letter to the church of Ephesus, there's also, across these seven churches, words of encouragement for all of church history that we can understand, and we can see ourselves as Colwood Church in these seven churches as well. And specifically last week, it was a call for the church of Ephesus back to their first love. From the outside world, if we were to put it in kind of like modern, uh, mar- modern verbiage, this church had it going on. They had great programs happening. They were reaching out into their community, but Jesus looks at the church of Ephesus, and he says, I see your heart, and you've drifted from your first love. And that was a, such a gut punch to this church, and they had to take Jesus' encouragement to come back to their first love. And Pastor Sean challenged and encouraged us last week as well for all of us to come back to our first love, to not allow faith to kind of become routine and rote and miss that God desires us to be in relationship and to know him. And this brings us to our second church that Jesus speaks to in Revelation, the church in Smyrna. Can you say Smyrna with me? Smyrna. That's good. You're, you're, you're killing it already, church. This, this city was located about 35 miles north of Ephesus and to kind of set the, the stage for what's going on in this church before we get to Jesus' letter, it's important that we note a few things about the city of Smyrna and this church specifically. The city was called the crown of Asia or the flower of Asia and it was very beautiful, a very beautiful place. Smyrna still exists to this day. It's in modern day Turkey, although it's been renamed as Izmir and it's the third largest city in Turkey. And this city loved to be first and it rivaled Ephesus as the first city of Asia. On their coins, they had the word stamped first city of Asia in size and beauty. Smyrna had gone through a bunch of once dead but now back to life moments. In 590 BC, the whole city was leveled. And about 300 years later, they built on that foundation and rebuilt the whole city. And the city was proud of his resurrection. The city had supported Rome for over 200 years, and it was a main hub for the worship of the emperor. In uh, 25 BC, they won a contest to build uh, a, a temple to the emperor Tiberius, where yearly people from Smyrna would go in and pin- take a pinch of incense, put it on the altar, and, and burn it and say, Caesar is Lord. There was a worship of the emperor that was so central to everything that they did that they lived by the motto, Rome first in all things. Rome and loyalty to it was a part of everything that happened in that culture, and it infiltrated all things, including business dealings. So to reject worship of Caesar had significant penalties, including financial penalties, like getting kicked out of trade guilds, which were essential to your business thriving and succeeding. Not only that, if Rome, under the rule of Emperor Domitian, thought that you were a problem or thought that you were a thorn in Rome's side, they had no trouble persecuting you, even to the point of death. There was a political pressure to fit in in that city and to be sold out for Rome. Rome. The city also had a very influential Jewish synagogue where me- some members of that synagogue were hostile to this new Christian movement because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for. And under Roman law, the Jews were given an exemption where they didn't have to go to the temple and offer that pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And so when these new Christians come along and they're, they're, they're saying, We're different than the, these Christians. And we're worried about losing our exemption status under this Roman law. And so their their, their standing in this Jewish synagogue was very precarious. They didn't want to associate with these Christians and say, these are a part of our crew because they believed very different things, but they didn't want to lose their exemption status under the Roman government. And so what the Jewish leaders in that synagogue did was they said to the Roman authorities, these Christians are problems for you. They started to slander them. They started to to besmirch their names and say, these Christians aren't a part of us and they're not worshipping the emperor. There was a religious pressure from the Jewish leaders for the Christians to fall in line and to be sold out to Rome or else they'd be labeled as troublemakers. And these two forces of political and religious pressure worked together to make life pretty miserable for the Christians in Smyrna. Smyrna. In choosing to follow Jesus, they were ostracized, boycotted, and excluded religiously, socially, and even financially. Their shops were confiscated, their homes were ransacked. And while Smyrna was a wealthy city, the Christians and the members of this church were poor and under significant pressure and persecution. This is the setting that Jesus speaks these words to out of Revelation chapter 2. Write to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears he, he, ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Would you pray with me as we've read God's word? Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see what you are speaking to this church at Smyrna over 2,000 years ago, and that, God, you would open up our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you would speak to us. Open up our hearts to, for the word that you want to deposit into our lives, Lord, and take our time together today, Lord, and help it to be pointed to you. Use my words to encourage, to challenge, and to ultimately sharpen us to look more like you today, Jesus, as we walk out of this place. Thank you, God, for our time together and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Now, how many people in the room today either have glasses or wear contacts? We got a we got a high percentage. This is good. This illustration's going to hit. All right. As you can see, I wear glasses as well. And I've been wearing glasses since I was about in the second grade. I remember I was sitting in in class one day, and I could not see the board. And I was like, what is going on? And so we went and got my eyes checked. And the doctor comes back, and he's like, yeah, you need glasses. You need them bad. Like to the point where I I came home with this sweet little pair of Harry Potter glasses. and, And life was never the same. I could see the board finally for once. Like if I was to take off my glasses today... If I didn't know who was sitting in the seats, I probably, like, I know Nikki and Chris are in the front row, but I probably wouldn't be able to tell you. I can't even squint down to, like, 20, 40 vision. It's not very good. Like, I'm kind of like, if I was born in the Middle Ages, I would be useless. Just my observation. Um, I'm kind of like Thelma from Scooby-Doo. I can't see anything without my glasses. And so when I put these glasses on, I get to see things in a completely different light. Everything is clear. Everything is illuminated. I can see people in the back row. Hey, Jay and Joel, it's good to see you guys. I can see things through a different lens. And what I think Jesus is saying to this church at Smyrna is, hey, you can see things naturally, but let me give you a different lens to look at this through. Look at this through my lens. You can see a whole bunch of stuff in the natural. You can see that your businesses are failing because you've been kicked out of trade guilds. You can see that you're being persecuted and your homes are being ransacked. You can see that life is not going very well for you. But let me give you a new set of lenses to see this through and you can see it from my perspective and see all that is going on. And so Jesus says to this church in Smyrna, here is a lens to look at what is happening to you through. And the first thing that they see is it's worse than it seems. Earlier this week, I was was walking to the bathroom. Go to get into the bathroom, pull open my drawer, put on my glasses, thinking that I look great. And what am I greeted with when I look in the mirror? A nice new pimple on my face that I did not see before. It was worse than I thought it was going to be when I put my glasses on. And for this church at Smyrna, they put on the glasses that Jesus gives them, and some of the things that they see are actually worse than they know. It is not just religious leaders and political authorities who are against them, but there are actually evil forces behind it all. In verse 9, the Jewish leaders in that city are called part of the synagogue of Satan. And in verse 10, Jesus says that it is the devil himself that is throwing some of them into prison to test them. Do you ever get to parts of the Bible and Jesus' words specifically and go, Oh, Jesus, you didn't pull any punches there. He calls these people a part of the synagogue of Satan and says that it's the devil who's testing them. Now to these Christians, in your natural sight, you might think it's just your Jewish friends and your neighbors down the street who are persecuting you. Or the Roman authorities who are persecuting you. But Jesus is saying to this group, if you put on my lens, there's more going on. It's not as it seems. There are things that are in fact worse. Your enemy is not just the people that you come into contact with, but there are dark spiritual forces behind the scenes that are influencing them. Ephesians 6:12 puts it this way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They may be facing political opposition, they may be facing religious opposition, but those things are being animated and advanced by a spiritual opposition that they are facing. I love the way that Daryl Johnson puts it. The equation is not just the pressure is threatened political leaders and hostile religious leaders. The equation is the pressure they're facing is threatened political leaders, hostile religious leaders, and spiritual forces of evil manipulating both. The same is true for us today. Sometimes it can be so easy for us to see the, the persecution or the difficulties or the struggles that we face as just being natural. It's just that person being a jerk. It's just my boss saying that I'm a Bible thumper for being a Christian. It's just what, the things that we can see with our natural eyes. But Jesus' word to Smyrna is that there's more going on here that you need to be aware of. Behind growing darkness is the prince of darkness. And yes, as a church, we actually do believe that there is an enemy, an evil force who wants to seek to kill and destroy what Jesus has for you and for this world. And we can't forget that today. The first thing that they see is that it's worse and there's evil forces behind what's happening, not just their neighbors down the street. And it gets a little bit more difficult for these people. Jesus says to the church, I'm not going to take you out of it. How many people, when you're in a difficult situation or you have someone opposing your faith, your prayer towards it is, get me out of this situation? Anybody? Okay, okay, at least it's not just me. If I was a part of this church in Smyrna, what I would want to hear Jesus say to them is, I see the persecution you are facing. I see the religious leaders who are are causing you difficulty. I see the political struggles that you have, and I'm going to replace them. I'm going to put new leaders in those positions, and you're not going to be under the pressure or the persecution that you're facing right now. But that's not what Jesus says to this church. He says, I'm going to allow it to continue for a season. And the, and the word that he uses is 10 days. Now, scholars and people who are way smarter than me have debated, what does this 10 days literally mean? Is it 10 24-hour days? Is it a period of years? Is it 10 um, ten emperors, there's, there's a whole host of different f- uh, understandings and philosophies on what these ten days is. And, and to not go too deep into the weeds with it, the one thing that we know is that Jesus says, I'm going to allow this ten days to happen. Whether it's ten literal 24-hour days or a period of time beyond that, the enemy is behind this testing, but God chooses to allow for this to happen. He doesn't deliver them out of it. In fact, he says to them, things might be bad now, but there might even get worse for you. Some of you might have to die due to this persecution. Is anybody else in this moment like, no, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to take off those glasses that you gave me. We don't want to see this. We don't want to hear this. We want Jesus to deliver us out of those moments. And instead, Jesus says, I'm not going to. I'm going to allow this to continue for a season. Now, when I get to this point of the the passage, I ask the question, why? Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God not deliver his church that is under pressure from religious, political, and spiritual forces? Why does he allow it to continue? And our first hint as to why he allows it to continue is actually from the word Smyrna. The, The city's name comes from the word Myrrh. Now, if you know the biblical story at all, you know that one of the three gifts that the wise men bring to little baby Jesus is myrrh, and myrrh is a perfume that is used to bring a beautiful aroma, and it's also used to anoint dead bodies before they bury them. The way that this perfume was produced was actually by taking a part of a tree that was really thorny And it was crushed. And when this part of the tree was crushed, it would produce a beautiful smell. And it would yield the perfume that came. In order for the tree to yield the beautiful smell, it had to be crushed. And the word that Jesus uses in this passage to describe the pressure that this church is facing is the Greek word phlipsis. And what this word means is a crushing pressure. Pressure. The enemy has a purpose for this pressure. He wants them to be thrown in jail and even for some of them to die so that they will renounce their faith and walk away from Jesus. But Jesus also has a purpose for this pressure. He wants to bring something beautiful out of it like when myrrh is crushed and the fragrance comes from it. The word that Jesus uses for this test means to prove and it also means to improve. The enemy was doing his best to tempt the disciples, to lose their faith. But Jesus, as he so often does, takes the enemy's attempt and he flips it on his head to prove and improve their faith. Pressure and persecution have a way of purifying and refining. And flips is, refines the church and strips away excess. It brings clarity and brings us back to Jesus who is our ultimate hope and security. Here's how 1 Peter puts it. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Church, Spoiler alert, but to be a part of the kingdom of God means that from time to time we are going to face persecution. We are going to face pressure. We are going to face people who, because of the inbreaking of the kingdom of Jesus, do not want that kingdom to come. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to allow this time of testing to produce something beautiful in you. It'll produce and improve your faith. Things might seem bad and even worse than you expected when you put on my glasses and my lens to see things through. But that's not the only thing that you see. Things are also way better than they seem. And in this short note to the church at Smyrna, Jesus notes at least seven ways things are better than they seem. So let's go through the seven quickly. It's better than it seems because Jesus is the first and he is the last. To a church that loved being first, to a church that loved being important, Jesus slides into the comment section and he writes first. He beats them to the punch. He tells them, okay, does anybody know that? Come on. It's the most annoying thing online when people slide into the comment section. And Jesus does it to the church of Smyrna. It's awesome. He says, Before you were, I was. Before you were ever a city, I was there at the very beginning speaking the first word, speaking everything into existence. And you may think that slander and gossip and the things that are being said about you have the last word, but Jesus says, I am the last word. He is the first and he is the end. So no matter what is going on in your situation, he is before as your bookend and he is after as your bookend as well. The second thing that's better than it seems is that Jesus has overcome death. For a city that was proud of its resurrection, for a city that had risen from the ashes, Jesus says, I am the ultimate resurrection. I am the one true resurrection. My death made it so that you do not have to fear death. He has triumphed over death and all of his people will too if they cling to him. The third way that it's better than it seems is that Jesus knows your pain. He says to this church In Smyrna, I know your poverty. I know your trials. I know your tribulation. He is not a distant king who has created the universe and has just allowed it to go on by itself. He is near to you and he knows. Even though there may still be pain, he knows, he cares, and he will help you carry it. The fourth thing that when we put Jesus' lens on it is that we see you are rich. Even in poverty, Even in prison, even in death, you are rich. Here's the way that Romans 8 puts it. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Church, look to the person beside you. Look to the person to your left and your right. Tell them you're an heir. You are an heir. <laughs> you are heirs to a kingdom. Isn't that an encouraging word today, Church. To to all of us, we may think that the church at Smyrna didn't have a whole lot. Materially, they were poor. In a city that was so focused on wealth and riches, they looked to the natural eye, poor, and that they had nothing going on. And yet Jesus speaks to this church and says, you want to see what I see? I see that you are rich. You are heirs to a kingdom that is breaking in right here and right now. And you may not think that you have much. You may think that you are poor. But what I see is that you are spiritually rich. Rich. In a city that was prosperous and wealthy, where Christians were poor, he speaks a word to them and says, you are rich. And as a brief aside, this is an important note for all of us today. God's viewpoint and his opinion of us matters more. Other people may look at you and say things about you. Other people may label you as certain things. But this is where we have to come back to God and come back to Scripture time and time again and ask the question, what does God say first? Because that is what matters most and what grounds us so that when everyone else sees one thing, we can stay secure and firm and know that we are rich even when everyone else calls us poor. The fifth reason that it's better than it seems is that this pressure will not last forever. It's going to go on for 10 days. God is still sovereign over the pressure. It will not last forever persecution that was coming against these Christians was from the devil and it was harsh and it was intense, but at the same time it was measured and limited by God. It was not going to last forever. And let this just be an encouragement to someone in the room today. If you are going through persecution, if you are going through pressure at work or at school to compromise your beliefs, to walk away from your faith, let me encourage you this pressure won't last forever. It's not going to last forever. There will be an end. And hang on in the in-between. The sixth reason that is better than it seems is that you will receive a crown of life. If you are faithful, even to death, you will receive a crown of life. When you endure, when you finish running your race, a crown will be placed on your head. Think of like the Summer Olympics when the 100-meter race finishes. Actually, probably more like the the marathon. But anyway, when when the race finishes... A medal is placed on them. And likewise, in that time period, a crown would be placed on the victor's head. And Jesus is saying, a crown will be placed on your head if you persevere and finish the race before you. A crown of everlasting life. No more poverty, pain, slander, shame, tears, discouragement. Only life with God, with light and joy and love forever. A crown will be placed on your, your head. And the final thing that Jesus says is better than it seems is that you won't be hurt by a second death. In in a world that is so focused on how do we stay young, how do we continue our lives for as long as possible, Jesus says there is something worse than death, namely second death. When we hold tightly to Jesus in the face of pressure, we do not have to fear that day where we will be before God in judgment. Because Jesus has already gone before us and we can rest in his finished work for us. We do not have to worry about second death. It's because of these seven things that the church in Smyrna can do what Jesus encourages them to. Do not be afraid. In the face of pressure that is crushing, in the face of persecution that would cause people to quit, Jesus' word and his encouragement to that church is, do not be afraid. For that list of seven things that I just read, he is before it all and he is after it all. He has defeated death. He will give you a crown of life. All of those things give us the courage that we can stand on and trust in Jesus that we don't have to be afraid, church. They have a new lens by which to see their situation through. The lens that Jesus has given to them. And as a result, the church in Smyrna chooses faithfulness over fear. And as we draw to a close this morning, I was thinking about a way to try and remember what we talked about. And and admittedly, this is very cheesy, so bear with me. But when others smear your name, remember Smyrna. (laughs) I know. I, I told you it was cheesy but hopefully it stays in your mind. When others smear your name or, or, or say things about you in your workplace, they want to exclude you because they hear you're a Christian. Or at your school, your professors put you on blast and say, how could you believe in a God who would do this? Or how could you hold on to this rigid or ignorant belief system? When people are smearing your name, look back to the church of Smyrna and let them be an encouragement and a challenge to us. Smyrna reminds us that we are not the first church or the first Christians to experience persecution for our faith. They have walked this road before us, and we can draw strength from looking at our brothers and sisters who went before us and withstood incredible pressure and difficulties, even to the point of death for some of them. Smyrna is an encouragement to all of us. It can be done. You can stand strong. Smyrna, I don't know if you noticed this, but is the, one of the only churches of the seven that doesn't have a word of correction given to it. Pastor Sean last week talked about how there's always gonna be an affirmation and a an correction and then a promise. Well, Smyrna doesn't have a correction. They stood the test of time. They were tested and they passed the test. They held on to Jesus even when it cost them through persecution and poverty, there's a crushing pressure and the Christians in Smyrna hung on to Jesus. And if we hang on to Jesus as well, there is a crown of life waiting for us, church. And the challenge that Smyrna gives to us is that while we may not feel this type of persecution, where people are actively trying to kill us because of our beliefs and because of our faith, the challenge that Smyrna gives to us is what will you do when persecution comes your way? What will you do when people try and belittle you for being a follower of Jesus? How will you respond when people try and exclude you socially, religiously, politically based on your beliefs? Will it cause your faith to crack and crumble like our enemy hopes? Or will it stand strong and be proven and improved through the pressure? In the middle of pressure, we can sometimes feel for being a Christian If we put on the lens of Jesus, we can remember the same things that the church at Smyrna was told. Jesus is the first and he is the last. Jesus has defeated death and is alive forever. He knows your pain. You are rich with the riches of Jesus. Your suffering will not last forever. You will receive a crown of life and you will not be hurt by a second death. Is that good news, church, today? When others smear your name, remember Smyrna. To Smyrna and to us, Jesus says, trust me even when you face persecution. Trust me even when you're under pressure. Trust me even when you feel afraid and feel like throwing in the towel on your faith. And if you do, there is a crown of life waiting for you, church. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you for each person who is a part of our church community and who's present here today. And and for those in the room today who know exactly what persecution is all about, for they've experienced it at home or in their friend circles or at work or at school, uh, I just pray for them today, Lord, that they would take encouragement from your words to the church at Smyrna, that we do not have to be afraid in the face of pressure, that we do not have to fear our enemy, even though he wants us to crack and crumble because Jesus, you have defeated death and we have nothing to fear. And so for all of us today, Lord, help us to cling to you when it would be easier to let go. Help us to cling to you and stay true to your words and to your life, Lord, that you have for us. When it'd be easier to just go with the flow and ignore what makes us different. And so today, God, for all of us, As we walk out of this place today, may we be strengthened and encouraged to look to you in the moments of pressure and in the moments of persecution. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your incredible love and grace for us today. In your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.